Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Blog Talk Radio. Oh. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. What's going on, everybody? This is Finsider Radio. It's Thursday, Thursday night. It's Wednesday night. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for. We're gonna do about 75 minutes tonight, I think. Uh, depending on how much we can get through, just because it's been such a. Uh, well, it's been a ridiculous week. Uh, following the Thanksgiving holiday and the fact that we had an early show last week. So definitely a lot we're going to get through. Uh, as always, I'm flanked by my uh, good friend and co-host, Duke. Uh, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Uh, one thing I, I do want to get into before we, we talk about what uh, went down earlier this week with the, the change at offensive coordinator and uh, just the, the embarrassment that was Sunday uh, in in the in New Jersey is the fact that um, whenever we do a show, I always enjoy watching the or looking at the um, sort of post show comments that people put up on Twitter. I get a lot of questions. I get a lot of feedback from people, and I mean sometimes it's just like standard fair type stuff. Uh, but I got a couple this week that I found kind of amusing. Um, I almost felt like Kevin put some people up to sending me these comments. Uh, number one, I got probably about 90 minutes after we did our show, and that was we did ours uh, last Monday because of Thanksgiving. Uh, somebody said that uh, I'm not gangster enough to host the show. I have no idea what the hell that means. But uh, So what we're going to work toward through December and January is I'm going to try to be gangsta for these people. Again, I don't know what that means. I He also said that Kevin was a much more gangster host than I was. Clearly, he's not. he hasn't met me or Kevin because I don't think uh, neither of us fit that, that mold. And then someone else uh, sent me a message a couple of days later uh, asking me, and I think this is a legitimate question, asking me if, I, if I'm drunk when I do this show. Of course I'm drunk. So I mean that I don't understand even the need for that question. I thought I fired back right at him, and I was like, "That's a stupid question. You know the answer to that. We both know the answer to that." Uh, the other person we usually bring on this show is Lewis. Lewis, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Now, judging by your your Twitter, uh, your your tweets that you put out the last week, 
you've pretty much given up on the Dolphins and life. Is that fair to say? Not life. I have a lot more living in life. And uh, the Dol- but as for the Dolphins, yeah, the season's pretty much over. Although I am interested in seeing what some of the younger players can do, and I'm glad that uh, reports are coming out that Bobby McCain's going to get his shot at starting. Well, I mean, why why wouldn't he at this point? I mean, what is, what is the pretense there in because keeping around? And that's what they do? It, that is what they do. But, I mean, hopefully you'll see lots of that as they start to, to weed out these um <laughs> these coaches <clears throat> coming from the Philbin regime or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> the only disappointment I really had in the laser firing, and we'll get more into this, a little bit more in depth coming up here, but the the disappointment I had when that news came out is uh, I made the joke last January when uh, the Broncos' entire coaching staff was fired. I, I commented that John Elway just took all of Denver's coaching staff out behind one of his many dealerships in that area and just pretty much had them all shot, just completely greased all of them. So I was – I mean, obviously we weren't going to get that with with building because he's already gone, but I was kind of looking forward to the mass firing. So we're not going to get that at all. So, I mean, whatever. So, I mean, the the news comes out that that Prize lasers out. Uh, He hasn't been in in who knows how long. He's been terrible. Uh, I've never seen an offensive coordinator give up on the run as quickly as that guy. So, I mean, that was inevitable, and it happened. This is incredibly unsurprising news. The, the problem right now that I have, and we've touched upon this a little bit on the show, is we can sit here and beat up on these former coaches we've had, and rightfully so. But at the same time, I mean, who is going to be the guy they bring in that's going to, you know, for lack of a better term, really stop the bleeding with this team? Because it's not, there's no magic bullet right now. I mean, I keep telling myself I'd like to get back to a defensive-minded head coach, and I'm still of that mind, even though it looks like a lot of the candidates available uh, this offseason are going to be offensive-minded guys. There's a lot of that. <laughs> and that's, that's fine if it's a guy like Hugh Jackson. I, you know, as long as uh, I can get over my, my tendency to call him Hugh Jackman, if I can get past that, it'll be fine. I don't really ultimately I don't really care what side of the ball the coach mm-hmm. comes from. But what I do know is now we've got Tannenbaum running the show. So that's gonna be a, a completely different dynamic because we we've seen him in in terms of player acquisition, his tendencies, but we haven't seen the goods in terms of hiring a coach in Miami. You know, he hasn't had his finger on the button before. And, frankly, I'll take anyone's finger on the button as long as it's not Stephen Ross at this point. And I don't mean to to be condescending when I say that or belittle the owner, but, you know, a great businessman, but stay the hell away from the, the football personnel decisions because it's just not working. Doesn't know when to pull the plug, pulls the plug too late, uh, hires the wrong people. I stand by the fact that this team should have hired Mike McCoy nearly four years ago. I would tell the story about how uh, James and I were, were texting back and forth that day. It was like a Friday afternoon when they announced the, the Philbin hiring. And we had heard the, the the night prior that it was going to be Mike McCoy. Like Mike McCoy had already pulled the Raiders to go to hell. 
because he thought he was going to get the, the Dolphins job. And then, of course, the team does does the opposite. They go with Philbin. And I remember uh, James was at some restaurant or something, and he said he just wanted to throw, like, a bottle of mustard across the room. He just wanted to trash the place. So I thought that was a little over, over the top at the time. But, I mean, in hindsight, right on. Just not a good hiring. Um, it's not a case of just bringing in guys who are first-time head coaches as opposed to retreads. Because I remember when they before they hired Philbin, all you heard about was, we don't want a retread. We don't want this guy. We don't want Jeff Fisher because he's a retread. But I get that. That's fine. But there are downsides to both. You either get a, get a guy who's perhaps uh, impressionable because, I mean, it's his first time, you know, manning the helm, calling the shots, whatever cliche you want to use for it. Or you have a retread, or a guy who's incredibly stubborn. He's going to come in, he's going to do things his way right off the bat, whether you like it or not. Uh, that could include looking for a different quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. Although I imagine that the fact that this team has a quarterback in place is going to be uh, somewhat of a selling point for them this offseason, especially when you have Indomitian Stu on the defensive side of the ball, too. And we'll get to him, too, in a little bit. But looking at this team and looking at the available candidates and just trying to speculate or try to figure out where this thing is going to go, because in a similar manner to how Dolphin fans are always looking for that next Dan Marino, even though he's not coming down the pipe. Uh, I feel like they do the same thing with Don Shula. You know, where's our next Don Shula? Where is he? Well, Don Shula was one in a million. You know, only so many people on the planet have that guy's level of, you know, uh, ability to coach, coach up, multitask. You always hear about the multitasking stories, the, the, legendary stories about how that guy could monitor the offense and the defense while they were practicing on opposite sides of the field. So if you're, if you're thinking that this team's going to get the next down shows, then I mean, let it go. It's not going to happen. I mean, if you're in, I keep seeing these people like we don't want retreads. Well, the Hugh Jackson's a retread. All right. He's already had a coaching gig. And uh, granted, I mean, if you look at what he's done, since his gig in Oakland, I think that makes him a, a likely, a, an, I should say, an ideal candidate for um, overseeing, coaching Ryan Tannehill. I think that, and I don't want to base the hire solely on that because I feel like the Philbin hire was because this, this team expected him to be a quarterback developer because he was mowing Aaron Rodgers' lawn. And I guess that, that put him in a position to say, like, hey, I had something to do with this guy's success, even though he sat on the bench, you know, the first four seasons of his career. So, or three seasons, excuse me. So, one way or another, all we can really say for certain at this point is some people are going to just hate the hire. If it's Eric Mangini, they're going to hate it, especially because we had we witnessed firsthand how crummy some of those Jets teams were when he was coaching them. Now, that wasn't necessarily his fault. I mean, those were some really crappy teams back then. So, I don't know. Another person I do want to bring in, uh, he was actually the first person to call in, and I threw him in the queue for about five, uh, well, 
uh, 12 minutes, however long I've been sitting here talking. But uh, Dolphin fan for life. I prefer to call him Chris just because too many syllables. Uh, otherwise, what's going on? Uh, nothing much. Uh, so, just let's turn this more into a panel thing now that I, I'm done listening to myself talk. Uh, your thoughts on, and we'll just keep it brief because, I mean, I don't know how how much we can talk about this without really just continuing to beat a dead horse. But your thoughts about the, the laser firing Duke? I mean, it comes through, obviously expected. Uh, the one thing is now you got Zach Taylor stepping up. I mean, is this pretty much just uh, doing a little bit of uh, maintenance work early, getting laser out of there, giving, maybe giving uh, Lamar Miller a little bit more of a chance to shine, maybe giving Zach Taylor an opportunity to, I don't want to say fix, but at, but at least attempt to right what's broken with this offense. What did, what did you think of the firing? What did you think of the promotion? Wait, what? Who are you? I said, dude. Who are you asking? I'm guessing that uh, uh, Chris actually stepped away, unless he chimes no, in. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I thought that you asked. You said Duke, so I was waiting for Duke to speak. And that's, uh, that's cool. You can oh, you can go ahead I and take it. Was, and go uh, for it. I thought he was actually asking me, so I, I thought I thought that question was directed to you. My fault. Well, I'm okay with the firing, not okay with the promotion. Everybody's going to be mad by the end of the season because if they wanted to get the ball ran more, they should have promoted the running backs coach. Zach Taylor's job was to make Ryan Tannehill look good. Zach Taylor's job is going to be to continue to make Ryan Tannehill look good. Zach Taylor couldn't even do that, pretty much. I mean, yeah, you can say that Ryan Tannehill is an okay QB, but many people will sit there and say that he's not. I think he's done a far better job than a lot of people are giving him credit for but at the same time, it, it's in his first mind to just get Ryan Tannehill looking good because that's going to be basically, as the former quarterback's coach, what Zach Taylor is going to earn his next job for because he won't be here next season. Well, one question I have, I don't mean to cut you off, but and I thought about this the other day, that Ryan Tannehill has has played for two lame duck offensive coordinators, a coaching staff that was, you know, for lack of a better term, just completely without balls during Philbin's stay here. You know, what quarterback in your position would thrive? Is there an example out there of a quarterback who endured such a lame coaching staff and numerous changes at offensive coordinator early in his career? I can't think of one. It's not the, just the coaching staff, it's personnel, too. I mean, he's had 14 different receivers in three and a half years. 
Yeah, you know, and don't I mean don't misunderstand me. I I can already I'm already getting tweets from people saying that I, uh, well, for lack of a better term, I love Ryan Tannehill. I like Ryan Tannehill. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. But I'm totally befuddled by people who think that he's just going to be really good in spite of the fact that almost the entire uh, coaching staff, uh, the the majority of the time here with the front office has just been bad. They haven't been good. And I, and I think that there's so much for that goes into a quarterback's development early in his career, given his surroundings with, you mentioned the personnel on the field, the coaching staff, all those guys. Look at all of the quarterbacks who have played this game and played it well. They all had, uh, you know, really a stable home life when it came to came to their their team their surroundings you know their their coach uh their the, even if they didn't have that good of players you know you think about Brady's receivers early on i mean if you're if you're playing in new england you're playing for bill belichick at that point he was his uh offensive coordinator was charlie weiss you know that was a creative scheme it was good you know they Got a ton of a uh, ton of work out of like you know Kevin Falk, so and the offensive line was good. That was you know the five layers of decent protection or whatever the hell it was called that nauseating campaign. Uh, but the same goes with like with Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning's first year. Uh, you know, granted, I think that team was what three and thirteen. Next year, thirteen and three. But he had great weapons on the field. They drafted well. They continued to add weapons to the team. That uh, The best offensive lineman he had was probably Tarek Glenn when he was healthy. I know a lot of people would say, well, what about Jeff Saturday? Definitely it was Tarek Glenn. So, I mean, he had good players around him. And the team made an effort to to better itself on and off the football field with its, with its coaching personnel and his player personnel. So I don't know of anyone out there who would thrive in that. So, yeah, has Ryan Tannehill been bad this year in a lot of games? Yeah, he has sucked. He just hasn't been good, especially when you consider the expectations that were, were uh, held for him and this team before the season. But you look at any great quarterback in the NFL, and I've not – as far as I can tell, none of them were putting up with the, the kind of crap that Ryan Tannehill has endured. It's a miracle that guy is any good. You know, this team could, would have destroyed a lot of people, a lot of quarterbacks in his position. I think part of the problem is that fans' expectations are, are skewed by, uh, by watching stuff like SportsCenter and these the shows that promote quarterbacks. I guarantee you can talk to all these people on Twitter and say, you can just ask them, name five quarterbacks in the NFL that can consistently win without having great help around them. They can properly win. Uh, and they'll start. I'm sure they'll start rattling off names, and you can start saying, all right, yeah, let's look at a guy like Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers playing great football, very good quarterback, three wins. Um, <clears throat> Russell Wilson, he won a Super Bowl. Could have won a second Super Bowl. Had a top four defense his entire career, top uh, five rushing attack his entire career. 
uh, this season. They paid him a bunch of money. They asked him to throw the ball more. The offense struggled. And if you don't think struggle, look, I mean, they, they've played better in a couple of recent games. But at one point, Ryan Tannehill had thrown more touchdowns than the entire Seattle offense had scored. So, I mean, he wasn't playing well. Andrew Luck, not playing well at all this year. Uh, no, I look at the people, coaching issues they're having there. I mean, yeah. that's not a coincidence. The fact that Pagano people, already has one foot out the door. And also I mean, interesting that at, some of, some of yeah, Luck's early development. Mm-hmm. So just look at these quarterbacks. I, was, I mean, you can name like maybe three quarterbacks in the entire league that you say, you know, I could put them on the Dolphins right now and they would win more games than they would lose. And that's about it. All these names that people say they win, they win because they have great help around them. And, you know, I saw a comment on the site this week about how, well, is Ryan Hinhill the reason they're winning games? No, is he the reason they're losing? You know, he's replaceable. You know, Fine, let's get Philip Rivers. You think Philip Rivers immediately turns this team into a, a uh Super Bowl contender? Uh I'd say he's got you know, he's got a similar team out in San Diego and he's not doing it. Um I mean just now people are questioning the Packers, they're saying uh you know, Jordy Nelson went down, suddenly uh, Green Bay's offense doesn't look as good. They lost uh four out of the last five games. I mean it's just like people don't understand. Quarterbacks need help. I think I was listening to a, a podcast today. They said they charted uh, – Dolphins had, like, 11 or 12 drops in in the Jets game. I mean, 11 or 12 drops. How, how do you expect a quarterback to win? Yeah, well, every team drops. Well, since PFF had this on their site, um, I read this week, the, the, the team that has the most – Drops since week four of catchable passes at the Dolphins. So the comment, and I, I tweeted it, the comment was the Packers are second only to the Dolphins in terms of drops of catchable passes. And this is not, you know, a pass that was over their head or something like that. These are catchable passes. Now, maybe they mean the ball hits them in the hand or if it's in a certain zone, I'm not really sure. The point is, people can dropping passes. How do you expect your quarterback to succeed like that? And they don't. But I hear this term, well, quarterbacks are supposed to make the people around them better. All right, fine. Somebody please scientifically explain to me how Ryan Tannehill makes Jason Fox better or Dallas Thomas better. How does he make a receiver catch the ball when it gets him in the hands and the receiver doesn't do it? What magical power does he have to possess to do that? I mean, I see these comments, I see these tweets, and it's just like, you say this stuff, but it's completely meaningless. And it's like, I don't know, I thought people don't watch football. They, they, they watch Ryan Tannehill and have these unrealistic expectations. And then when the team doesn't win, they, they rush for 12 yards against the Jets. 12 yards. I mean, I walked more during that game than the Dolphins rushed for. And, I mean, just, it's just dumb. You know, so I, I just don't know what people expect. What do people want Ryan Tannehill exactly to do? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, the guy threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns, and I was going to bring up that whole 10 rushing attempt, 12 yards uh, statistic, but I figured no, because uh, you just did. But, you know, 
I mean, it's basically just media-driven drivel is basically why people keep on bringing up the quarterback and the quarterback because everybody in the media is spouting off about how it's a quarterback-driven league. And, yeah, it is because teams are passing more. But at the same time, it's basically this. Look at the last few teams that won the Super Bowl. They had a great balance of run and pass. They had the ability to run the ball. I mean, without without their running back, Seattle doesn't win a Super Bowl, as you can see. You know, without a running back game, Andrew Luck never makes it past a certain point in the playoffs. And Sanchez was exposed as soon as his running game went away. And those that want to talk about how Pennington did such a good job, Ronnie Brown spent more time at quarterback than Chad Pennington that year because most of our offense was ran out of the wildcat. It was a direct snap to Ronnie Brown and Chad Pennington lined up at wide receiver. You know, but Chad Pennington's going to get the credit, even though Ronnie Brown spent most of the time running that offense. I think a lot of fans watch highlight shows. To go along with what you're saying is people forget about the running game. The only time they think about it is when there's a highlight. Nobody, because a four-yard run up the middle isn't isn't something sexy. It's it's not a something to get you all excited about. And and so the media projects all these all this stuff, and this goes back to the deep ball. I would guarantee you fans who turn on the Red Zone channel or watch another game besides the Dolphins and watch other quarterbacks throw the ball. Yeah, you're going to have some that throw the deep ball very well. But you see a comment, well, that deep pass, was the receiver had to slow down for it. So it wasn't wasn't in stride. So it wasn't a great pass. Or this. I'm like, "Go, go watch Drew Brees throw a deep ball. Go watch Tom Brady throw a deep ball. Tell me what you see. You see a perfectly thrown ball in stride every time? No, it's not. Um, <clears throat> look at, uh, I mean, there was one this week, Kirk Cousins threw, threw a pass to Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson had five yards of separation. The ball was slightly underthrown. He had to slow up to catch the ball. Now, he had enough separation and enough breakaway speed that that didn't matter. But because it was completed, because it was a highlight reel, people were like, oh, see, that great deep pass. I guarantee if they had been Tannehill, there would have been complaints about it. So I, I just think people don't understand and, and it's not like I'm saying quarterbacks are even across the board because, yeah, there's stuff that other quarterbacks are much better at than Ryan Hennehill. But it, it's like they, they watch these they watch these plays on SportsCenter and they think that's how every quarterback plays every time. Like, oh, well, you know, Joe Flacco has this one great pass. That's how he plays all the time. And you watch him play and you're like, what am I watching? And, and, and they don't. It's just, you know, it just feeds into this narrative and then you've got every then you've got everything else going on. The Dolphins did well to stop the run. Uh, I think they said at one point during the game that uh, that uh, Chris Ivory had his first carry was for 16 yards, and he had 10 carries for a total of 17 yards after that. That's pretty good. But the secondary was getting lit up by Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I mean, and I mean, you know, just the Dolphins aren't a good team right now, and 
it's across the board. But, you know, the quarterback always is going to take the blame for it. But it just seems like to me that there's just – it's like Ryan Tannehill takes more than other quarterbacks. Um, <clears throat> you know, when Matt Ryan was playing the ball the past couple of years and won fewer games than Ryan Tannehill, what weren't teams, you know, talking about how bad he was? Why don't people talking about how bad Russell Wilson was at the beginning of this season, or even Andrew Luck? It's like every other team has an excuse. But then when someone defends Ryan Tannehill, well, then I'm the one making the excuse. And it's just because he's a bad quarterback and he's not doing all these magical things that people think about. I, I don't know. So I, just, from my, just from my experience, um, I haven't seen anybody making excuses for Matt Ryan recently. They've been pretty much saying that Matt Ryan is an awful quarterback. But I understand the sentiment that you're making. It does seem like that Ryan Tannehill, uh, it, he draws more criticism than other quarterbacks in this league, and it seems like he's the only one who uh, cannot be made excuses for. And quarterbacks and people, I, I just, I was in a discussion with somebody just a few days ago, and they told me, and I basically told them how Cam Newton has this great core of players around him. And they laughed at me, and they called me an idiot. I'm like, are you kidding? Look at the receivers that uh, Cam Newton has to work with. Ted Ginn Jr. and his family are his, his number are his, his number one receiver. And once, and I had, I had already said to him what made the core. It had nothing to do with his receivers. I have always been a proponent of your running game, your offensive line, your defense. All of those things are way more important than the weapons that you have surrounding you. Look at the team that the Seahawks took to the Super Bowl uh, against the Patriots. Who's, who, were, who was Russell Wilson's weapons beyond Marshawn Lynch as the running back? There, really, there was no impressive weapons there, but they got there with their defense, their running game, and a balance of offense. So Cam Newton is doing the same now. He has a, he has a top, I think he has a top ten defense, maybe even a top five defense. He has a running back who's ran the ball more than anybody else in the league. He himself, Cam Newton, has pretty much become his own running game. Uh, since came to Ryan Tannehill, you need to start doing it again. So for me, for people to tell me that Cam Newton is running the team by himself, I just have to laugh because they're ignoring a really big part of exactly why the, the, the Carolina Panthers are doing so well. They're, they have a top five defense or a top ten defense. I don't know which. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. And they have a running back who's run the ball more than anybody else and a quarterback who I believe at this point has run for more yards than some running backs in this league. So for them to say that it's just Cam Newton being an awesome quarterback, yes, he's a good quarterback. He might even be a great quarterback. But he has a lot of help around him, even if it doesn't look like he – even if he doesn't have the the prototypical weapons surrounding him. I, I mean, I think it's, it's highlighted by – if you look at the Texans game <clears> – <throat> I've seen comments on the site. I've seen people talk about that. It, it, it can, it, you, you know, you need an accurate quarterback, even on short passes, so guys can get yaked. <clears throat> and, I mean, it blows my mind. You watch a guy like Tom Brady, who throws a ball that travels five yards from the line of scrimmage to a receiver who's open, who then takes it upfield and scores a touchdown. People are like, Tom Brady's just so awesome. And then Ryan Tannehill does the same thing to Richard Matthews. And people are like, oh, the receivers did all the work around him. He didn't do anything special. It, it, I mean, it's just, I mean, at, at this point, when you see that kind of stuff, it, it, to me, it just becomes, you know, all right, I'm, I'm not talking to you about this anymore because you're being irrational. I mean, if you want to say that Ryan Tannehill is not doing uh, anything great, 
Well, then go watch some of these other quarterbacks who do the exact same things. Go watch Tom Brady. Yeah, he's a great quarterback. He is very good. I'm not trying to compare the two. But when when you say, well, you know, look how great Brady is when he does things, the same thing Ryan Tannehill does, and you criticize Tannehill or you try to take that away from him, you know, it's just – and I think it goes back to what Keith said earlier. It's like everyone's looking for the next Dan Marino. And, and, and I honestly think – I mean, I don't know that Dan Reno in his prime would t- make this team a Super Bowl contender. I think he would. Would they have a better record than four and seven? Sure, but I don't think they would be a better. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team as they are currently constructed. So, how much criticism would he get? I mean, it's like what? It's like what? What Miami fans want? And, and I, I, I thought about this before. It's like the it's a syndrome of the grass is always greener on the other side. Yes. Every every team has better everything than Miami, and we want what they get. We were a slow team in 2012. Will we get Mike Wallace? Well, he's not good enough. We need something else. There's, there's always something more. And honestly, the only cure for it is winning, and, but there's more to winning than just the quarterback. But nobody sees it that way. What did you guys think of that uh, that game in Denver last Sunday? I mean, let's all admit it. We were happy to see the Patriots lose and get their first loss of the season, especially because New York should have beaten them two, two weeks prior. Uh, I was but, happy. I mean, did you I have a problem with the officiating in that game? Did you think it was as bad as New England put out to be? And I also want to point out the fact that the irony of the Patriots calling out officiating when their entire dynasty is built on that tuck rule call against the Raiders I find that a little bit sickening. Every time a Patriots fan complains about the officiating, I'm like, what are you upset about? Or I think about that AFC Championship game, the first one against Indy, when Ty Law was pretty much like uh, had his hands glued to um, Colts wide receivers the entire game up in Foxborough. I've never seen a defensive back manhandle a receiver core like that before and get away with it. So all of this crying and all of this, it was the refs against us. This is the revenge for the whole deflate gate thing, whatever. But you have gotten the benefit of of uh, the call so many times that honestly, if you're if you're on the other side of the coin, I don't feel bad for you. So that was my takeaway. But I wanted to see, like, am I just am I too brutal in that assessment? Because I understand some of them were ticky tack. Uh, the the one um, on Demarius Thomas in the uh, that sustained that one drive, I thought um, could have gone either way. But if you have your shoulder, if you have your hands up on a receiver's shoulders like that, and they turn, they're going to get that call every time in today's NFL. It's not just the Patriots. I'm for well, I really wasn't bothered by the unless you're the Dolphins. I yeah. saw a couple of times that play should have been called during the Jets game. I mean that that you know. But it's not Sorry, even, it's sorry. not like it's just the Dolphins, okay? So it's not just these it's I don't I really I really don't I really it's gonna sound I don't know how to word it. I guess I'm don't blame the Patriots for being upset. Because at this point it's gotten to where every team is upset 
I mean, let's face it, guys. The officiating is really at an all-time low. There are calls being made all over the place that have no business being called. Like, even if you breathe the wrong way, not just in Miami. Again, it's, we see the only for Miami because we mostly only watch Dolphins games. But if we, if we watch Colts games, Patriots games, Broncos games, Titans games, whatever game you want to play, whatever game you want to watch, there's going to be, like, at least five calls that you're going to think look at it and think, what are you talking about? There was nothing there, or rather you should have called something there and you didn't. So if the Patriots want to complain, I mean, fine, whatever. To to blame it on the whole deflate gate and revenge, that's where they screwed up. But if they wanted to complain about officiating, I really don't mind because, I mean, who isn't complaining about officiating at this point? But at the same time, you're like, you know, yeah, maybe you, you got hosed by a bad call, but you've been the benefit of plenty of bad calls. And because you've won a lot and because of those bad calls, you need to sit this one out. You know, just just button it up and, and let some other teams complain. Uh, you know, it, it's like it, it's like the the uh, you know a rich uh, you know somebody like Stephen Ross walking into a McDonald's and complaining about the price of the Big Mac. I mean, just like you know, leave it alone, but leave it alone, pal. You know, just deal with it. You know where you are. No, this is my issue with Tom Brady, though. That and I understand he's not the only quarterback that does this, Aaron Rodgers. But I, it's like every time that guy drops back to pass and he throws the ball and it's incomplete, or they fail to convert on third down, or something doesn't go their way, he is in the ref's face, just letting them know, and just sitting there and complaining. All that guy does, like it's amazing how much energy he would save if he wasn't complaining all the time. And he should think about conserving his energy. He's in his late 30s. But constantly, he just sits there, and all he does is bitch and moan and whine on the field. And people wonder. I mean, there's many reasons why people dislike the Patriots. For me, that's the number one reason why. That guy is always complaining. He is always trying to uh, to leverage for a call. If he doesn't con- If he doesn't convert on third down, you can bet that he's going to sit there and he's going to complain about it. And I understand that some calls in that game didn't go their way. I would be the first person to say that, even though I didn't have a problem with it, because I was very much into the idea of those guys uh, getting knocked out in Denver. And the fact that it, it happened against Brock Osweiler is pretty sweet, in my opinion. And kind of works out for Denver, too. Talk about a little bit of a resuscitation into a season that was uh, looking like it was going to go uh, belly up pretty quick there. So that's cool. But I just I don't feel bad for the Patriots. I don't feel bad for their fans. They've been recipients and, and beneficiaries of so many bad calls and calls that shouldn't have gone their way. So you know what? You live by the sword and you die by the sword. I don't well, have a problem with that. The one, the, one thing, the one thing that Lewis brought up that I totally agree with is officiating this season is an absolute dumpster fire. It is terrible. And it's getting worse. And to the point where if you see all these things now where they're moving these crews around, taking them off games, uh, already making decisions that, no, you're not going to, this crew's not calling this game, so on and so forth. Um, it's, people made such a stink about the whole replacement ref thing a couple of years ago. In my opinion, the, the replacement refs did a hell of a lot better than what I've seen this year which is saying quite a lot because I think those replacement refs were asking 
were telling players that they had him on their fantasy team and ridiculous things like that. But I mean, it is just it's it's sad right now what's going on with this officiating, and it's like I said, it's continuing. It's not like it's hit rock bottom. Every week that I watch football, I feel like I see something ridiculous that goes through. And you're going to get to a point where is this going to start affecting playoff games? It's sure as hell affecting uh, or having a say in who's going to the playoffs and who's not. I've never been a fan of PFT, really, but they wrote an interesting article this week uh, talking about the officiating and you know, a lot of people are because a lot of the refs have been replaced in the, like the last two years because people kept complaining about the calls and whatnot, and now people are starting to blame the young receivers. But what they pointed out was the ones making all the wrong calls have had at least five to ten, you know, five to fourteen years experience officiating the NFL games. Yeah. Um, I mean... It's an epidemic right now. It's bad. But I, I was just interested to see because I... And the one thing that surprised me the most about that game was in overtime because it was third and short for Denver. And I feel like... I looked at that their formation and how they set up. You knew the pitch was coming when, when they pitched it weak side. I feel like... I would be – I don't know. If anyone didn't – it's not like I'm some incredible savant when it, when it comes to looking at, a, at, you know, football alignments and everything. But I just looked at that play, and I was like, well, of course you'd pitch it here. I mean, why wouldn't you in the snow? I mean, that just seems like an easy sell. And then New England just complete just dies on the field. Just It almost looked like they weren't trying. And it's weird to see a Belichick team – get caught off guard like that. Because I feel like everyone knew that play was coming. So that yeah, that was interesting. That, that's something I mean, interesting because they said after the Monday night game, I think NFL matchup or whatever it was called, wrong. and I said this on Lewis's show last night, and Merrill Hodge got on there and said, you know what the best part about this play was? And, of course, he's talking about the Denver game. He said, was the fact that Brock Osweiler audibled into it. And, of course, my ears perked up when I heard that. And then they, course, yeah. yeah, we we just. I'm sorry. I said, of course, yeah. Said, Anytime you hear the word audible, you're like, hey, what's that? Yeah, we just have these calls and checks that we go into when we see the front. I'm like, this guy has started is starting his second game or whatever. He's playing the Patriots, and this guy can audible. And you mean to tell me that Ryan Tannehill cannot audible? I was like, just get out of here, that man. I mean. I don't know, but that might have been the straw. Like somewhere down the line, Dan Campbell heard that. He's like, wait, Brock Osweiler audible? Yeah, Laser, you're out of here. I mean, seriously, just how bad is that? I turned the TV off at that point. I was like, I don't want to hear this anymore. It's just, when it, in that situation, you won't let a, a guy like Tannehill, who's, I, I would think right now, is a better quarterback than Osweiler, and you won't let him audible? Just get out of here with that. I feel like that when we talk about Tannehill getting set up to fail, that's a shining example right there. That is sterling when you think about it. He, I mean, he can't audible. He's an intelligent guy on the field. He knows what he's what what he's looking for. You know, he and they he's keep saying he, it too. What's that? 
like they keep saying that. The coaches are not denying that Tannehill is smart, that Tannehill could pull it off. But they never say, well, because it, 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 it's, that's, what, that's what really ticks me off, is that they know he can, but they won't. Now, supposedly, yeah. the reports are coming out that Tannehill's going to get to have some input into the offense and he'll be able to audible now. And even then, I'm still not buying it at this point because I need to see it to believe it. But it just it, – it, it, it drives me nuts to hear. Like, Campbell says it, and Laser supposedly says it, and all these guys are keep saying it. He's smart. He can handle it. But we don't want to make him lose his rhythm. And I've said this over and over again. If, you're, if the play you're about to call is specifically built to be stopped by whatever look the defense is showing, it doesn't matter how much rhythm you have. It does not matter what kind of execution you have. That play is countered. By exactly the by not even the execution, the scheme of the defense, the look they're giving you is specifically built to stop the play you're about to run, and that no matter of rhythm is going to help you there. Tannehill, if you keep saying that he's smart enough to handle it, that he is he has the cerebral ability to change the play at the line of scrimmage and put it into a, a better succeeding play, then it, it's just not it's not even good strategy. It's common sense to let this man do what he is paid to do. You didn't pay him $96 million to be a robot. People keep the reason, a lot, a big reason everybody's so mad is because we paid him all this money. Well, then let him play like a quarterback who's earned all that money. That's, that's, exactly. that's the biggest that thing. That is a, the best thing you could have ever said. I could not agree with you more. They're paying him all that money, yet they, they have him leashed to the car like, like he's some low-grade commodity. And it's not a big deal because they're, they have absolutely no faith in what he's doing. You didn't pay him all that money so you could sit there and marginalize and minimalize his effectiveness on the football field. But that's what this coaching staff has done routinely since he's gotten, since he entered the league. You know, and he was, a, you know, you heard that I've never seen the word raw attached to a player's name as much as it was with Ryan Tannehill's when he came out of Texas A&M. I get it. He's raw. Uh, you know, he was playing wide receiver for a, a time there because uh, he couldn't get on the field as a quarterback. So, he, I mean, he did that so he could go ahead and get on the field. Uh, but, I mean, the thing is, everything from my, I've seen from him suggests that he's got it going on upstairs. He's very cerebral in his approach to the game. Why wouldn't you, you have him, call, you know, have him uh, or allowing him to audible? I, I'm at a point now where I just let him call his own plays. I would just say F it. Whatever. I'm kind of you know, wondering, I'm kind of wondering if part of the reason why they failed to let him audible was because of the fact that, you know, they wanted to handcuff him to the pocket if he had a chance to audible, he might have gone out of the pocket more than, you know, most people. Because if no one's open, guess what? Quarterbacks should run. Um, Where's your Aaron Rodgers all the time? Russell, Russell Wilson does that all the time. There's guys on Twitter that talk about that. That showed, they showed one today I saw. Russell Wilson had a clean pocket, had a receiver coming up and across the middle. Or they do... He's looking right at the guy, you know, to come up and instead of anticipating the pass or putting it out there, he runs from a clean pocket. But you don't hear people, how many people complain that, oh, he shouldn't run too much? I mean, it's a no-win situation. Either Ryan Hill runs too much 
He's like, well, he needs to stay in the pocket more. He stays in the pocket. It collapses. No one's open. He gets hit. He gets tackled. He needs to run more. You know. If you're gonna get hit, go get, if you're gonna get hit, get hit running forward. Yeah, it's uh, that's the thing. Several times you mentioned this on the show, and it shows up perfectly in this discussion. Is these coaches that we had all wanted to be the smartest guy in the room, and no one, no one exemplified that more than Bill Lazor. I mean, you've got this quarterback. You paid him much money. All signs point to him being able to. And, you know, I look at it like Ben Campbell when he came out of his initial press conference. Was that he uh, he pretty much all but said that Joe Sullivan was, was a wuss. He, he danced around it as best he could without actually saying, you know, this guy was a pansy. We're actually going to toughen these, these girls up a little bit. See the same thing. Well, we can't run him. We don't want him to audible because he gets out of rhythm. To me, that's coach speak for. Look, I've let him audible. This idiot over here won't, and I can't change it. Well, now he's changed it. So, you know, if maybe Ryan Tannehill does well at it, maybe he won't. But it, it, it's just a case of Bill just thought, no, my system's going to work. I'm the coach. You're you're the quarterback. I don't care how good you think you are or how everybody else thinks you are. My plan will work because I say it will. And when it's not working, he has that clueless look. Why is my plan not working? I'm smarter than everyone else. It's, you know, and we've been calling. And you've got people who want Chip Kelly. Well, who? Like, Where? You, you think that, Point them you out think to me so I can call them out for being stupid. If, if Chip Kelly's in, in the fold, hell no. That's another offense where you're not audibling out of it. Who's calling for Chip Kelly? Call, point them out to me so I can say they're stupid. <laughs> okay, I, after the show, I'll send you a list of names, and I'll stick you on them, and you can sit there and Jeez. personally go door-to-door and tell all of them that they're complete morons. <laughs> It's like, we uh, just nailed Bill Lazor, and you want Chip Kelly? Come on. I, I You you haven't seen that on your feed? I get that all the time. I thought that was common. No, I don't see all Chip time. Kelly. I see guys like uh, Hugh Jackson. I see uh, Sean Payton, and I see all these other guys. I've never seen Chip Kelly. I'm like, oh, my God. I've seen a lot. Are you kidding? I've seen a lot of Chip Kelly. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 too, have seen a lot of Hugh Jackman and uh, uh, Sean Payton, too. So uh, And, yeah, I'm just going to call him Hugh Jackman because I can <laughs> So, yeah, I was about to say, I, you're going to keep that bad habit, aren't you? No, I just, I mean, I'm just going to own it at this point. I don't even, <laughs> whatever. Whatever, I'll do what I want. Uh, so, <laughs> looking at these at these coaches, though, yeah, I see a lot of Chip Kelly out there where people are like, well, if he's out of Philadelphia, let's get him. No, let's not. Let's not and say we did not. Not interested. Yeah. Especially if you're interested in the in the growth of your quarterback going forward. So, I'm probably yeah, the only the smartest guy in the room. I'm probably the only person that is hoping that James Betcher gets a call to interview for a Dolphins head coach job. I don't think you are. I've seen that once or twice, but I I would say that you you were definitely the first person to to bring that up because I don't think that's the first time you've mentioned that. No, I mentioned that in the in one of the threads, and somebody said he might get an interview, but he'll never get the head coaching job. And right, I mean, you have to be so incredibly qualified to coach this team. You don't even have to call plays if you're an offensive coordinator. So yeah, the 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 bar has been set ex- extremely high by these guys. Like the Dolphins are the NFL's Harvard. So. Um, I I don't know. The whole thing is 
is nauseating. And the the worst thing about it is these guys are probably going to beat Baltimore on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be so be- sure. Well, Baltimore Look, is... If Fitzpatrick can light them up, then I don't see why Matt Schaub can't. Well, I agree. But, I mean, I, Baltimore <laughs> looks like a team that was just hit by a car repeatedly. So do the Jets. I, so do oh, the Eagles. Man. So do these well, other teams. If, you, if you've noticed, the Dolphins are incredibly incapable of winning a divisional game. And, for, you know, all signs point to them getting swept by the division, which is not a great look, especially when you're expected to win that division. So um, the sobering thing, and I saw this one coming, is as soon as they lost that game on Sunday, the draft talk started. What spot are we getting? Can we get the number one pick? Probably not. There are some really bad teams out there. I think what's the worst team in the league, two and eight? Or two and nine, maybe? It's either the Chargers or the Cowboys. I think it's actually the Browns. Browns have two or three wins. Yeah, they're. I mean, which by the way, we should talk about that too. Did you guys watch those videos of of Browns fans at that game on Monday night? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. It was on Deadspin. Anyway, so you had all the all these different uh, fan shot videos. Like, there's this one, and this is the best one. Actually, there are two that were, I would say were the best. One, there is this extremely large, drunken man wearing, I'm fairly certain he was wearing a Barkevious Mingo jersey. And it was, and it was, he had all these layers under it and everything. And when the Browns lost that game, this guy, is, like, someone else in the crowd is, like, kind of just taking note of everything that's going on. All these people are disgusted. And then it pans to this guy in the Mingo jersey, he re- reaches up and tears it off of his body like he's Hulk Hogan. Except I'm fairly certain there were no perforated marks in this jersey. It takes some serious strength to just sit there and just completely shred a garment like that. So, I mean, that's big boy strength right there. The other video, and this one was my favorite, <clears throat> this kid who had uh, – he had like upper end zone seats, so he was facing he was facing the Browns as they were kicking the field goal, the or the yeah, the field goal attempt to win the game, and he's doing a selfie. So he's like a selfie video, and he's holding up the his phone, and he's in it smiling while the play is going on behind him. And then he hears the kick is blocked, and you see him while the selfie's still going. You see him, he turns around, and you just see his expression as he watches them return it for a touchdown and lose. And then he, the, video, the video is still going, and he just kind of like just folds his head and just walks out of the stadium. It's kind of like that part on The Simpsons where uh, after Lisa um, pretty much humiliates uh, uh, Ralph Wiggum at the Krusty thing, and Bart's like, if you if you look closely, you can see the exact moment where his heart rips in two. It was pretty much that for this kid. You felt so bad for him, but you were also laughing because his reaction was hilarious. And maybe because we relate. What's that? We relate. Oh yeah, certainly. Although I mean, I I can only imagine how this how this fan base would react to a loss like that. That's bad. That is over the top bad. But nevertheless, you've got a lot of people thinking they're going to get a top five pick now, and it's not out of the question because outside of the Baltimore game, I'm not sure who else they're going to beat. I mean, the the Giants are incredibly inconsistent, so I don't know. 
maybe the the Dolphins find some sort of new life in those in those uh, old school Aqua uniforms they're wearing that night. But I mean, I don't see it. I mean, they've got four wins right now. I'd say that you know they finish with five at the most. And yeah, five and eleven this year is going to get you a decent pick. There's a lot of four and seven teams right now. Uh, there's a couple of two and three win teams. I think a lot of the four and seven teams are going to win a couple more games before it's said and done because they play in weak divisions and they might be able to beat up on some other teams or you'll get that sort of divisional parity that goes on every so often. Like if Carolina lost to Atlanta or something. Atlanta is absolutely terrible right now, but any time you get an NFC South divisional game, you never know what's going to happen. So, I don't know. If this team ends up, let's say they end up with a top-five pick. And it's, it's possible. And, I mean, you got a lot coming in. You're going to have a brand-new coaching staff, more more likely than not. I mean, you want to talk completely revamped uh, in terms of coaching personnel. This team will have it. If you have that top-five pick, and we've talked about draft picks a little bit on this show, do you stick to what we, we said? Are you looking for – I mean, linebacker in the top five, that's heady stuff. Usually when it's guys like that, it's it's dudes who can rush the pass or guys like Khalil Mack, you know. But, I mean, do you, do you stick with that route or are you interested in just are you going the best player available and at that spot, chances are you're going to get an absolute stud? Or what are you thinking if you have that top five pick and you're just looking to salvage with what you have in terms of a good quarterback you hope can become a very good quarterback and a defense that you'd like to build around in Dominican Sioux. Miles Jack, Reggie Ragland, Jalen Smith, I don't care. If we get a line if we get a top tier I've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks now. If we get a top tier middle linebacker, it helps a lot of positions all over the field. And not only that, this is another point I decided I wanted to bring up because I actually just realized this. If we get a top tier middle linebacker, like somebody who can become the next big thing, whether it's Jack or Raglan or whoever, if this guy turns out to be a world beater, then that means we will have at least one star on all three uh, parts of um, of our defense. Rashad Jones yeah, is our I'll, secondary I'll guy. You got two on the D line, and then you got uh, whoever the the new rookie is is with the linebacker core. That helps a lot. Jalen Smith playing behind and Dominican Sue would be pretty sick. I don't know if anyone's had a chance to watch Notre Dame. I typically avoid Notre Dame because I really don't like them. And uh, obviously, you can watch all their games because they're <laughs> all on NBC. But um, Jalen Smith is a player where I, when I watch him, he wows me. He's awesome. So I mean, he's I think he's to definite top five material because I think that you're going to see uh, the typical thing I talk about. You're going to see some teams get baby crazy for quarterbacks early on. Uh, Cleveland is such a mess right now, so you'll see that with them. Uh, I wouldn't rule any of that out. The only problem is that everyone thought this was going to be such an awesome quarterback class, and it's really not going to be. Uh, kind of a testament to the fact that no one even knew who Paxton Lynch was before this season. Now I'm seeing uh, some expectations that he'll go number one overall. That kind of reminds me of 2013 when Eric Fisher was the number one pick, and most people are like, who? So... I don't yeah, know. 
the 2013 draft class is a mess. Yeah. It wouldn't have been had I been picking. Yeah. Well, Duke and I had a lot of good plans for that draft. <laughs> we were all into guys like Desmond Trufant, which you kind of feel bad for that guy. Is, is he's, I mean, he, is, he and Alford in Atlanta, I like that tandem. I think they're good. And the funny thing is, Duke and I had talked about getting Trufant and Alford that year. Just like um, in 2012, uh, when people wanted Peyton Manning to come to Miami, I was like, the cool thing would be if they drafted Brock Osweiler and put him behind Peyton Manning. I swear I did that. You can find my, my article still up out there if you want to read it. And I thought it was funny when Denver did that. I was like, wow, you know, John Elliott totally ripped me off. Obviously, he didn't. I'm kidding. But uh, the, uh, we had we had Desmond Trufant. That was a pick that we had kind of talked about. We figured the Dolphins were going to, if they stayed at 12, were going to take Tyler Eifert, and that turned out to be uh, a, a great pick. So yeah, he well, was my guy. It took a while. It took a while for Eifert to it took a while for Eifert to pan out, though. I don't think well, Dolphins. Yeah, but have I also think it, well because he had the injury. And then you could also make the case that uh, Andy Dalton really got his game together. Notice that once once Dalton, and I mean, which is why I think a lot of people are, are into that coaching staff right now, because I mean they're getting a lot of out of Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton does not have a very strong arm. Yet I mean he throws the ball downfield. Uh, he's confident in the way he uh, he attacks the the entire field right now. So I don't know, but yeah, Eifert was definitely my guy. When we started talking about Trufant, we thought he was going to be a second-round pick because he was at that point. Like that January before the combine, I think he ran something like a 4.37 or 4.38 at the combine. So, like, ugly fast time. And then he started to get a lot more attention. So, I mean, I've I've had a lot of misses, too. You know, there's guys I thought were going to be good. And, I mean, they turned out to just be not good, just flat garbage. But, I mean, we realized that right now, Andrew Luck isn't looking so good. And he was supposed to be the golden boy. You know, I, I understand he's got injuries working against him right now, uh, unstable coaching staff, which, you know, hey, that sounds familiar. But, I mean, there's no sure thing in this in this league. And there are times where guys are going to struggle, especially when their surroundings are inadequate. And, yeah, this team got Ryan Tannehill a lot of weapons. I think Devontae Parker is going to be awesome. But all of those weapons don't make as much sense when the t- the team itself is in absolute shambles and refuses to run the football, which just absolutely just handcuffs the passing game in terms of its ability to stretch the field and really get somewhat of that cushion that you see or that sort of wide berth you see a defense give an offense when they're running the ball well. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not making excuses for anyone. Ryan Tannehill needs to be better, but Ryan Tannehill's coaches need to be better too. And it's paramount for this team to make sure that the latter happens this offseason. No more does, no more half measures, no more of this crap that these guys have put in front of this team. You manage to marginalize uh, and Dominican Sue's ability on the football field in some of these games. And that's when you know you're shooting, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're getting in your own way. And that's the smartest kind of room mentality. Kevin Coyle had it too. And, you know, this team, in my opinion, hasn't recovered from that. 
yeah, they beat down Tennessee and Houston, and I realize that Houston's in a position to make the playoffs now, but they play in the AFC South. Who cares? The division sucks. I mean, it's almost like it's the battle of attrition in a lot of ways. So I hate to say it, but, I mean, that's the case. Sorry. So you bring in these players, you got Stu in there, you got some really good players on offense, and you just make them look average. So, I mean, they got to find a way around this. You've got to make the right hire. This will be the most important coaching hire the Dolphins have made since Don Shula. I don't think I'm even putting myself out there by saying that. You have a lot of talent on this team. You, If you get this right, this team is going to be good for the next decade. The talent is there. And more is on the way, especially if they continue to stink it up, make it a high draft pick. Got to get it right. No more of these half measures. No more of these yes men. I don't want Tom, Jim Tom Sula Jr. coaching this team. I want guys who know how to win and know how to get the most out of their quarterback. And do you let know the quarterback why I, audible once in a while. Do you know why I pushed James Betcher for the head coaching job? It's because the very first coaching hire I see him making is hiring Bob Sanders to be his defensive coordinator. Will Bob Sanders get hurt while he's coaching the defense? He does a heck of a job with their linebackers. I'm I'm only making a joke just because Bob Sanders was an awesome player who could never stay healthy. That's fine. Well, I mean, it's a different Bob Sanders. but um, That's why I made the joke. Sorry, I'm having a mute all of you. out of it. But I, I've been pushing Jalen Smith for a long time too, so I'm I'm with you on Jalen Smith, even if we're top five. I mean, oh yeah, you get a linebacker. I think because that's why we haven't talked about him as much. Because I I think we've already kind of come to a consensus that unless something weird happens, he's going to be the first linebacker taken. He's awesome, and the, I mean that's a pretty incredible thing to say considering the amount of talent that's coming out at the linebacker position in this draft, tentatively, of course. So, I mean, uh, honestly, yeah. I am just scared of drafting anybody from Alabama. So, Raglan, no. Um, but Jalen Smith, I literally watched this guy, and I think one of the biggest problems why we were – so able to sit there and marginalize the talent of Sue is because Sue can't cover tight ends. And apparently nobody else on the Dolphins can either. So, I mean, we fixed that. We fixed their interior, you know, we fixed their interior ability to just their middle passing game. You just, fix so much with a linebacker and you hear corners I don't really like any of the corners in this draft until like in the first round I mean because I mean it's kind of like the year they only selected two quarterbacks in the first round or one I think one or two the year um, 2010 no, it was more recently. Um, 
I think in 2013, uh, Buffalo. Oh, he's been uh, there. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, you didn't really want to in the first round. I have a question, uh, actually, uh, and we can be serious about this now. So, if you brought Bob Sanders over, because I, off the top of my head, I think he's only been in Arizona a year, and I'm, I'm all for poaching anything, any coach that comes from Arizona, because I think that team does it right, right now. Mm-hmm. But if you brought him over, is he the defensive coordinator? I didn't, I didn't hear you say that. Yeah. Okay. He's the he's the defensive coordinator because basically the job he's done with the linebackers, he he you know the next step up is to put him at defensive coordinator because you can't really just say, Hey, I want you to be our linebackers coach or hey, I I want you to be this guy. I mean their linebackers do a heck of a job. I mean, that's the unit that, and how many of their unit deserve to go to the Pro Bowl this year? You know, right. It's just, you know, that's his first coaching hire I see. You know, that's the reason why I pushed Betcher. You know, but. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I'm all for options right now. Uh, I'm feeling a, I've been feeling a little under the weather tonight, so I'm gonna just put the warning out now that we've got about, let's say, like a maximum of five minutes. So, is there anything else that you guys want to get out there? I I thought Chris that there was something you wanted to talk about with uh, Seven Bailey. Yeah, I wanted to get everybody's opinion on that because you know it happened in Miami. First off, it seems like. Anything shooting-related or murder-related seems to happen in Miami. But, you know, I mean, it seems like players come here to get into trouble. Um, They had the drunk driving manslaughter a while back, and now, you know, he gets shot. What are, I mean, you said so yourself. You had high hopes that we would draft him. Um. What does everybody think about that? You know, what happened? I'll jump in, just because, why not? Yeah. Like, somebody uh, want to go first? Yeah, or I'll do it. Uh, the first thing was when I saw that he's been shot in the head twice, I understand that they constitute the head as anywhere in the head doesn't necessarily mean it's the brain or anything, even though that's the first thing I always think about when I hear something like that. But it's, I, it also reminded me of uh, the Chris Johnson thing when he got, I think he took a bullet to the shoulder. And it, I mean, it was because he had been leaning over. Otherwise, it, it could have easily been his head. So the whole thing, like, I'm just glad he's going he's gonna to be able to pull through. And I mean, I don't live in South Florida, so I don't know. That kind of news didn't strike me as much as it would had it, like, happened in Chicago or something. Usually I'll take more note of that if something happens, like, up here in in the Midwestern region. I don't don't really have a comment on it. I mean, it's awful what happened to him. This is the world that we live in. And we just gotta 
just kind of got to move on and live with it, I guess. All right, then. Well, what does it look Excuse me. Like I said, coming down with something. So I think I'm getting progressively sicker as this show goes on. Um, looking at the landscape of this team, I mean, we all, we can all agree it's not very good. And, and frankly, it's really hard to talk about this team. Uh, right now, who are your guys' Super Bowl picks as we're, you know, second day of December? Who do you think is going to do it? Um, I'm going to stick with Frankie. Okay. Hmm. I don't really know. I'm going with Arizona, even though they didn't look very good against San Francisco last week. I understand there was a ton of officiating issues that came up in that game. Uh, I'm going to go with with, uh, a wild card. I think it'll be, as long as Carson Palmer can stay healthy, I guess i got to hedge my bet that way. I, I think that I like what they're able to do. And I think that if they're able to play Carolina, that would be a, a hell of a game. So I'm not feeling confident in Green Bay right now. I think they look incredibly average. And i got to say, uh, Brett Favre made a living for a, pretty much a career out of beating the Chicago Bears. So for Jay Cutler to go up to Lambeau and get his first win there on Brett Favre night, that's something that I don't I don't know if Green Bay fans will ever recover from. That that is brutal. You should honestly the day after you should have seen it around here. There are a lot, I've mentioned this before on the show. There are a lot of Packers fans in this area, and they just absolutely look just bulldozed. I mean, I was amused. I don't really like Packers fans very much. I have no skin in that game, but they irritate me. They're kind of like St. Louis Cardinals fans. Yeah, oh, we're the greatest fans in the sport. Yeah, whatever. So I think Matt Hasselbeck finally gets his ring. Really? And then he retires. Yep. Wow. Matt Hasselbeck is hasn't lost a game yet. And he's playing lights out for a forty year old and he knows that window's closing, so Yeah. You you need to put some money on that. That is a bold prediction. It's a bold prediction, but it's highly plausible. I mean, the guy is smart, and, you know, he's won a lot. Do you think that kind of – well, I don't suppose it would taint Andrew Luck's legacy, but it's not the greatest look. I mean, granted, he's injured. But, so I mean, it's not like he's out for the season. What happens if if he's ready to go going into the playoffs? But Hasselbeck's been your guy. What do you do? I mean, well, I know what you would do, granted, but what, given what you just said. But do you think that that's some, something they struggle with? I don't no. think so. Because no, as long no, as they're going to struggle with it. You don't as think long so? as Matt Hasselbeck is still winning. Quarterback. Well, I he's mean, your he's franchise quarterback, good. but your backup's winning. You don't bench a QB if he hasn't lost. You know. I don't disagree. I'm just I'm, tell, or I'm just putting the narrative out there that you will see if that happens. 
or if it comes to that. It's the same thing in Denver right now. Because people are like, they should put Manning back in. Hell no, you should not. Brock Osweiler looked great the other night. He throws the ball downfield. That team wants to throw the ball downfield. They're built to do that. And it gives the – and you notice that C.J. Anderson all of a sudden comes to life. I understand he was a late bloomer last year too. But he gets going as soon as they start stretching the field. That's a no-brainer in my opinion. So, I mean, no offense to Peyton Manning. I mean, it's it's tough to see him go out that way. But, I mean, you got to – you dance with the one you brought. So, or, or, or brung you if you're into that vernacular. The, uh, so, funny, the funny thing about – the Andrew Luck and Matt Hasselbeck um, situation will be all the people, media, fans, whoever, that have kind of kind of built up their portfolio, so to speak, with all of the QB win stuff, all the stuff. Andrew Luck's the next great guy. I mean, I I see comments Andrew Luck was the second best quarterback in the league after last year. So what happens if Let's say Hasselbeck plays great the rest of the season, stays undefeated. Then they come to Miami, Andrew Luck comes back in, and the Dolphins, who at this point may have five men, beats them, or it's only four wins and beats them. Do you bench Andrew Luck after that? And that's going to be be a a really fun to watch watch some of these people kind of dance around. You know, like certain media beat writers that would oh look, the greatest thing. You know, they put down Tannehill all the time, and then they watch this guy that they say, "Let's watch a real quarterback play, not Tannehill." And then he comes in after a forty-year-old backup shows him up all season, and he comes in and sucks it up again. Then what happens? I mean, do you do you start the guy and bench him or what? I agree that you should have to let keep playing. I would put him luck on IR. Just let him say, you know what? You know, it's it's about the future with that guy. We're not, you know, we're gonna try to win with yeah. back what they're doing. But it, it's going to be fun to watch how how these people kind of dance around that that topic. Because if they if they don't watch out what they say, they're going to undo a lot of stuff that they've spent a lot of time building up regarding quarterbacks in general and in Miami Tannehill specifically. Yep. You know, it all depends on his mind state too. I mean, the guy Luck has been Luck's actually been hurt more than Tannehill too. You know, I mean, I think he's had like two or three seasons where he's been hit with the injury bug. But I mean, I don't think you go so far as to put him on IR. I mean, Hasselbeck is forty years old, and you want to have that competent backup, but I mean keep Hasselbeck in and make Luck actually win his job back. You know, if if he can, cool, but if he can't, you know, we've seen how injuries just mess with your head sometimes and you don't think you have that same zip on your passes or whatever. You know, Culpepper wasn't the same person after he hurt his knee. Just saying. Yeah. That was a brutal knee injury. All right. This has been good, I think. I'm not really feeling well right now, so um, I've had enough. So uh, I just say thank you 
uh, uh, all three of my contributors tonight. You guys usually join me. So this is kind of like the regular rotation at this point, which is pretty cool. Um, we'll be back next. Not we won't be back next Wednesday. I'm gonna have to do the show. Well, we'll do it tentatively Tuesday. I gotta play. Uh, my band's got a show in downtown Chicago next next Wednesday afternoon. So uh, not gonna be around for that. So we'll find a, an alternate night for that. But uh, aside from that, um. Enjoy the games this weekend. Uh, try not to get too down, especially if they lose. But like I said, this team manages to find a way to beat the Ravens uh, when they're at rock bottom. I don't know what it is with that with this team. So uh, for Lewis, Duke, and Chris, thanks for uh, joining me tonight, and we'll talk to you guys again sometime next week. Have a great night. You too. Good night. Good night. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.